WandaVision, Shot and Totten 2, and Frog Detective 2, The Case of the Invisible Wizard. This is Staying In. So, uh, Sam, I just Hello. want to take this opportunity mm. uh, to apologise for oh. breaking our pact that we uh, put in motion not that long ago. What and pact was this? We, Sam and I did that thing that men in their 30s do where they recommend each other internet providers and get vouchers for doing so. Ah, oh, yes. yes. So, Sam, I got 25 quid in Amazon vouchers because Sam recommended the Vodafone and you also got 25 pounds. Mm-hmm. And we put our heads together and we thought, well, there's a game we really want to play but we can't justify playing it. But however, there is a smaller version of that game that gives us a taste of the game that we want to play. So let's invest in that. And some say that taste is all you need. <laughs> Jaws of the Lion, which is a, a slightly lighter version of Gloomhaven. So we both said to ourselves, look, when it comes back on Amazon, that'll be what the 50 quid is for, Chris. We'll, we'll you know, we'll go into it. We'll save it. And it's been, and it's been sitting, the email has been sitting there. And take it as yeah. a guy who currently I'm helping out. I, I like to feel like I'm helping out Oxford University track and study uh, coronavirus. So... All the money I get from that work, lovely work that I do <laughs> is currently in the stores for my for when I finally decide to buy. Well, not when I finally decide when there is a PS5 for me to buy in Amazon. Okay, so I've yeah. currently got this like little pocket away, screwed away of Amazon, and thanks to a little bonus from work, there's like nearly like three hundred pounds in there. So Ooh. I'm like, oh, like I'm ready. I'm nearly there, lads. Nearly like a free PS5. But uh, the, but I'd specially kept this twenty five quid from Vodafone, screwed away, so it wouldn't be, so it wouldn't even touch, wouldn't even congregate with this uh, money my ps5 for that matter i put chris in charge chris was in charge of purchase acquisition and management there job done you're in safe hands yes exactly so then cut to this afternoon and i'm in the middle of organizing my birthday wish list on amazon and (laughs) sorry when i say it out loud it sounds really stupid so i was in the middle of sorting that out and i thought i and, and i'm creating a bespoke one this year which is a, a departure for me. And I thought, I'll go through my other wish list and see what's on offer. Have a look. Board game wish list. Oh, Jaws of the Line is available. Quickly. Chris. Flashing lights. Semaphore. Morse code. Yep. Get on this. Yep. I said, let's, I, Sam, send me the picture. I said, go for it. Go for it, Sam. Yes, go for it. Yes, definitely. And then Sam replied, can you give me your voucher code? And I went, ah, <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> I've just bought a jigsaw of the moon. <laughs> uh, and then I had to send him a little bank transfer. Yes, the reason why I'm, and listeners at home, I actually am recording this on my armchair because my kitchen table for the last 36 hours is basically been taken over by what I thought was going to be quite a small, ample sized jigsaw. Yeah. It's yeah. massive. Yeah. How many pieces? Well, a thousand. But I don't know if any of you looked out the window recently at night, but the moon, turns out, has not got much differentiation when it comes to colour. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it is really difficult. Surely it's, the edges is, e- is easy, though. I know, but once you've done that, um, once, you've, you, once you've got over that buzz, um, it's quite tricky after that. Although it is really addictive. I mean, I think it's becoming more addictive than anything else like game wise i have i haven't played ghost of tsushima for days Mm. it's just this jigsaw i don't know whether it's just time away from a screen 
or whether it's just the kind of novelty of I can't remember the last time I did a jigsaw, but it's just been really, really, really nice. It's really relaxing. Oh my gosh, incredibly relaxing. Would you say it was peaceful? Definitely. Do you think you've been floating in a sea of tranquility? (laughs) Took your took your quite a few kind of questions to get to that point there Pete. yeah it wasn't yeah, it was that worth, wasn't an easy reason, so burn, yeah. <laughs> yeah but dan think about how many attempts it took to get to the moon yeah true yeah it's been a good three or four years since i last did a jigsaw and i did it uh whilst we were away with the family for christmas one year and it was one of those like impossible jigsaws and but it wasn't like a thousand piece i think it was only like two three hundred and it was all like candy canes in a in a bundle one picture so it's really tough to do, but it was really, they, they are incredibly satisfying. I think the only thing I have against jigsaws, if anything, is that once they're over with, I'm kind of like... Oh, yeah, totally. I, 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 think, I think they kind of like, they really peak, you get your excitement, they sustain your attention for a long time, but then the, the sort of, the, the payoff at the end is kind of like, all right? It's actually too big for my table, so that's going to be fun when I get to that point. That's going to be a difficult conversation oh, to have oh, with myself. Oh, are you going to, have one, are you going to get one of those roll-up mats? My nan's got one of those. Just, just do it as like a crescent moon. Just don't do like a third of it. What, and just plane down the sides? Yeah. <laughs> just a little, craft, like a little Stanley knife, just go around. Uh, I've always been tempted by one of those um, 3D, 3D jigsaws. Why? Um, why? Why a 3D one? Well, why a 2D jigsaw? Because a 2D one's got a nice sense of nostalgia to it. There's a there's a sort of connection with a youth and a, and a sort of tradition in which, you know, the jigsaw is a part of. As soon as you move it into the third dimension, it's like, who are you trying to kid? You're not video games. I, I love like, the fact that this is like the board game equivalent of kids these days don't know they're bored. Just yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> when I was a child, we had 2D jigsaws and we liked it. We just yeah, had exactly. scraps of paper that we had to put together. <laughs> and, and that and that was enough. You know, we'd, we'd sit down and like... Um, my wife today was talking about, oh, when they, you know, our parents and they're growing up and they just wanted to take a picture of their newborn. It must have been so difficult, you know, setting up the shot, getting it printed out, putting it in the post and sending it off to someone. Are we really saying 3D jigsaws are like the iPhone equivalent to... Of course they are. <laughs> yeah, of course they are. I found out the the other day that I've been playing um, a game wrong <laughs> for, several, <laughs> for several years and like only really? just realized it in the last couple of days. And it's 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 been a revelation to me because I, then I went on a nine game winning streak. Oh, no. <laughs> Which game? Uh, Lost Cities. Okay. Oh really? What 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 did you got wrong? <laughs> we, we, I, basically, I I found a because um, I was like, as with all things, like we, uh, me and my wife always really enjoyed Lost Cities, and uh, but the scoring at the end, I always found oh, I was a little bit finicky about the scoring. So I, I had a look around at some apps, and um, I found this wonderful app called Lost City Helper, and uh, little did I know how much it it would actually help and improve my game. And just to give you an idea of like how much I got the I was getting the scores wrong. Before this scoring was was adjusted, the current high score we had was two hundred and eleven. 
that changed to when we readjusted the scoring, and now the top score is 77. <laughs> right. Wow. Um, so, yeah, after using this app, we, we uh, I uh, realised that we've been scoring the game differently for so many years. But it's been it's actually been incredible because it's changed the game uh, to such a degree that it's actually like you know when you're playing a game and and you kind of sit there and go I'm enjoying this but it doesn't feel yeah right it doesn't yeah. like people talk about this game like being a really interesting like competition yeah. and really thinky and like like I'm enjoying Lost Cities but it feels like it's more about luck than it is about actual strategy and where you place in the turns out that's because I completely read the scoring rules wrong and so. That's been like the massive change is that the game has become a lot more about gambling, risk and reward, actual strategy when you play things, counting cards. It's It's been a revelation, Chris. Oh, my um, word. Yeah. Gosh, makes you wonder if there are games that I've... Well, I know there are games out there that I've been playing wrong. <laughs> Definitely. Most recently, Takenoko. Root. I still don't think I've got the, root, the, the rules no. of Root down. No. At all. It's, it's funny, though, isn't it? Like, I, I often... I'll often play like a digital adaptation and that'll be the thing that makes me go, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, it's like, well, why can't I? It's like, well, because that's not in the rules, dummy. Like Splendor, I did that for a bit. Like, you know, I think I've got there now, but there's always been something, there's always been little little tweaks, little rules, little um, things that give you extra elements of strategy, like how you reserve and use gold pieces in Splendor. And and I'd never quite understood specifically how that worked. I was always like, oh, it just feels like you're going to fall behind. And actually, it's a really good mechanic to kind of open things up a bit more. But it's really interesting, isn't it? That when how much like when you play a, a well-designed game, how mm. much like a bad rules reading does give you that feeling of something's sure. not right here. Like that yeah. doesn't feel like it should be this case. And I always find that really interesting. Like. You know, when you're playing a game, it's like, let me just have a look at, like, something just doesn't feel like, something never felt right with Lost Cities, but now it's really clipped. Mm. And especially with this new version that we got, um, it's got, like, a sixth ex- expedition as well, which, like, extends the game out, which we were brave enough to pull out the other day because we've, we've, um, we've just about managed to start finding a bit more time to play games together. It was always my intention that, like, when Hugo came along, I knew that, like, he would eat into our time playing games. But I was always very kind of persistent in trying to at least keep it there in some way and like develop the habit of of finding of finding time to play games. So like I was very keen of like managing expectations in a way of like especially in the early like few months of putting games down that I know that we could either step away and leave and then come back to or be pretty happy to like, oh, we've done this for 10 minutes. Hugo's up and crying. Let's go and deal with him. We'll come back to this later or Mm. forget that. We'll, you know, we'll play a game another time. Mm. And like, I think that's really helped in like developing a nice rhythm now where we are, we're we're like really finding the time to play now and Mm. getting a lot of, getting a lot of stuff to the table and also it's meant that we can we tend to like incorporate hugo in in play now as well like buying some playing card stands is the best investment i've made in like the last six or seven months so now like when we're playing lost cities or 
uh, mandala or something like that, we can just have the cards all in little stands in front of us. So we've got both hands free to like hold Hugo, which is great because then we can like involve him in, in what we're doing. Parenting tip, right? Mm. Um, the exit games from Cosmos are the perfect games to play with a little child because you can give them the stuff you want to ruin <laughs> and destroy. <Yep. laughs> we were playing Exit with Hugo over New Year's and like we would just get any card we knew we didn't need anymore, we just gave it to him and he was just like putting it in his mouth, ripping it up, chewing. It was it was great. Um so we do have to be a little bit careful with what he can grab at a distance. But yeah, so we've been playing a ton of Lost Cities and we've been playing oh oh Shot and Totten too. Mm. The sequel to um, the sequel or sister game, as the designer Reiner Knizia likes to call it, to the game that is in my top five of all time, uh, Shot and Totten, which is like it's a strange game. It's been around for like twenty years in some shape or form. Like he originally uh, like put it in like a magazine, the rules, and you could just play it with a pack of cards. And then it was like, picked up by publishers, and like you may know it as Battle Line, yep. which, G- which GMT published and then someone made battle line medieval which is like a homebrew version of battle line but with better art um and then yellow came out with shot and totten uh which is like the game is set in scotland and then recently this most recent version shot and totten 2 which i think is the first like game that i played which is like a direct sequel to a board game i can't think of any others um uh, what about um, Forbidden Island, Forbidden Desert? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I guess Burger Brothers 2. Which Next month, fingers crossed. Next month, fingers crossed. But Shot and Totten 2 is really, it's, it's a really, like, I thought it was just going to be almost like, because it comes in the same size box as Shot and Totten, and I th- really thought it was just going to be the same game, but with a few extra cards or some sort of expansion-esque kind of scenarios or something like that. But it's Reiner Knizia, who's the, the designer who also designed Lost Cities. It feels like it's he's looked at the game and kind of wanted to feel about, wanted to kind of design, wanted to kind of move the design forward and think about how it how it really plays and what were the certain, the, what other sort of challenges that the original game brought. And basically what he's done is turned what was quite sort of like a head-to-head battler, which is Shot and Totten, into this asymmetrical game, which feels a lot more thematic to what I feel like the original was trying to um, aim for. Because Shot and Totten is a game where essentially it's trying to recreate a battle, which is why GMT called it Battle Line. Mm. And you have these like nine different points on the table. And the idea is you're playing cards of a certain suit and a certain number and whoever gets the better formation on either side of all of these battle points will then win that point um, and the formations are all based around poker hands so a flush beats a straight or whatever or like you know a pair two pair beats a pair of cards all that kind of stuff and that's how the game basically worked and it was just a straight head to head the same rules for both the players however with the second game it's been sort of flipped on its head and there's one player who's the attacker and one player who's defined as the defender. And it's been taken out of a field and actually, instead of the, like these random stones uh, played across the table, 
the the tokens that you're essentially battling over make this like tableau of a castle of like a castle walls and the defender sits behind those castle walls and then the attacker is like facing towards them and you're playing your formations directly against parts of parts of the castle so it feels like a lot of, of a more thematic game it feels like he's really looked at it and gone how can i make this feel more like a battle feel more like a a two-player confrontation hmm. and the other thing that which i think is a lot more refined from the original is that what held the original back and what i feel like didn't strike with many people who i've introduced it to is that everything was kind of like based on how well do you know poker hands how well right. can you can you count cards mm-hmm. how well can you look at the look at what's on the table and go right if the six of yellow is there i know i can put this card here and, and my opponent can't beat me in this formation and i always felt like that was a a major setback to the whole design of the game because i enjoy that that sort of deductive reasoning counting cards bluffing and playing sort of and those poker hands but not everyone does and even though i really always enjoyed shot and totten it was always really difficult to find someone on my same wavelength in terms of mechanics to enjoy so how does how does the sequel like move away from that need to know knowledge of like poker and counting cards and stuff so the kind of like the knowledge of poker and counting cards kind of it remains like that's a way to win a part of the battle is to have a formation on one side of the wall which is stronger than your opponents however in the previous shot on totten you every single point that you'd be putting down cards for it was always the same you'd be putting four cards down and then that would be totaled up against your opponents however here every point on the wall has a different limit to the amount of cards that can be put down so one point you'll have four another you'll have three another you'll have two so it means that if you're trying to get your head around what cards beat what you can just focus on where you just put two cards down and you can put your strongest two like do a do a straight run at seven eight of the same color and you know that's going to be the strongest and then there's parts of the wall where it's four cards and for this part of the wall it's just you just got to get the highest number of cards if you were to add them all together at this part of the wall you've got to get the lowest number of cards if you were to add all their values together and i think that just gives it a sense of focus and and a sense of like if you're struggling getting your head around the fact that you're counting cards there's specific areas along this wall where you can kind of shift your focus and shift your energies as the attacker or the defender and then what happens is once you've won a formation you'll then flip the token over and on the other side will be a different uh, requirement for you to put your cards down so what will be just place three cards here will then turn into place the best the highest value cards that are all the same color here or you have to do a run of cards here so i feel like for someone who's not very familiar with like what poker hand beats another poker hand when you see something on the table that goes right i've got to get the highest value of cards that are all the same color on this point it gives that player a lot more of a focus and something to actually like attain towards rather than trying to guess what the other player is going to be doing that in that situation 
And for me, that's made it a lot more of an enjoyable experience. And there are other asymmetrical things where, like, the Defender has these, like, little hot oil cauldrons that they can essentially pour over the cards that are on their wall, and it, like, gets rid of one of the cards that are that's closest to their wall, affecting, like, the total summation of that formation. So, yeah, so it's really good, and I feel like it's a, it's a, a different enough approach to the game that if you like Sean Totten or Battleline, then it could be actually a better introduction to that to that mechanic than actually just getting shot on Totten off the off the start. If you didn't have the original, mm. would you go straight to the sequel? Yes. Really? I would. Hmm. And would you own both? Is it worth owning both? Or is it an either or thing? I don't know. I feel like you could go from Shot on Totten 2 to the original because... Shot and Totten 2 feels more like a an introduction to the mechanics and then the original is more of a raw application of those of those things but I feel like those interesting points and the and the way that the battle is actually format formatted out like I think I actually prefer Shot and Totten 2 hmm. I feel like it's just a more interesting puzzle and I'm not always worrying about if and this is going to sound a bit big-headed I'm not always worrying about if my opponent is as engaged or as up with the mechanics as I am, which yeah. is what I kind of always worry about with Shot and Totten. Like, I feel like they're not going to enjoy this because they're not as geeky or as into like the maths puzzle as I am. Well, it's like it's like when you play like an abstract game like chess, right? If you're just mm. introducing somebody to chess, probably the best way of doing it is to not absolutely destroy them on their first turn. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... And I think that's the same with games where there is an element of, I, I don't know, like metagaming, like a, a really hardcore element of mastery, like a chess, like poker. I think poker has a very high skill threshold, actually, as well. Yeah, uh, for For true mastery of the game. Like, it's easy to understand the rules of chess. It's easy to understand the rules of poker. But if to actually get to that next level of like, oh, okay, I'm actually pretty good at this stuff. And it sounds like that's the same with with yeah, Sean yeah. it was it was it was so much more easier to introduce it to my wife than it was the original Sean Tom. Introduce and teach because it meant that the teach was just like right for this you just got to focus in on this mm-hmm. when it, when it looks like this this is what we got to focus in on. So it meant there was no periods where I'll sum it up this way. When I played Shot and Totten I think both with my wife and you Chris you both uttered the phrases I have no idea what I'm doing so I'm just going to put this card here whereas yeah. I feel like, and and what happened when I played Shot on Totten 2, my wife is she never had that instance of not knowing what she was doing on her turn, which I think is like, that's the critical thing, especially for the first play. Like, the engagement is right there from the start. And yeah, it's it's super good. It's good. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember when we used to go to parties? <laughs> no, actually. I'd say B. No, I don't. A jigsaw is a good thing to have at a party, though, isn't it? <laughs> if you want to send off the universal sign of, I don't want to talk to anyone. But yeah, you can have, yeah. but no, but you can have it set up in a room. Yeah. When, when um, um, the, the network, the national radio station that I work with, had this thing, had this thing once where they thought that it would be it would prove popular with the listeners if we had someone sitting in a room on their own all day making a jigsaw 
And the, the whole entire staff were encouraged to go in at any point and uh, build a bit of a jigsaw for themselves. And, and to be honest, I saw the man in there for several hours and then it just kind of like ended up disappearing yeah. <laughs> away to a cupboard somewhere. But I thought, like, but surely something like that at a, at a party might be quite a popular thing. Like, if you just wanted to, like, have a little bit of a break away, here's a little task you can complete. Yeah, yeah, to, yeah, you know, I can imagine the scene now. You've got the you've got the, the room and there's the jigsaw puzzle and there's one person by themselves doing the jigsaw puzzle. <laughs> and a couple come in, they've maybe had a drink or two, and they open up the door. Oh, hey, uh, hey, Jeff, how's it going? What are you up to? Jeff turns around. Oh, I'm doing a puzzle by myself. And then the other two people say, oh, yeah. And just slowly close the door and back yeah. away. And also the fact is that, you know, you can't have any kind of nice atmospheric lighting in the room. You need it fully lit so you can yeah. see all the pieces. Yeah. So yeah. it's going to be fully lit. Yeah. Music will be down. I actually did go to a, a party once and find myself doing a, a, a 3D jigsaw, actually, come to mention it. The, my it was only a small it was like a small like a uh, pyramid like very very small you hold it in your hand kind of jigsaw of all these blocks and stuff um and i i'm not gonna lie it was a, it was a stag do it was the first night i think the amount of alcohol i drank may have led me towards spending a bit more time on this than i usually would have but i just mm. spent a good portion of the evening like every now and again it'd be in the kitchen i'd go back and pick it up like i can't why can't i work this out and I'd just jam some pieces together. It didn't work, and I'd walk away again. And I'd keep coming back to it all night long, and I never did it. it was, yeah, it was, it was supposed to be the Statue of Liberty, but Dan turned it into a pyramid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I just got glue and just... <laughs> I, just I, did, I did what I did with your crescent moon and just sawed it all off. <laughs> when I was planning Sam Stag do, that wasn't actually like, you know, the break glass in case of emergency thing I had as a backup in case everything went <laughs> down. Pull out, pull out the 3D jigsaw, lads. <laughs> Well, if we'd known that, Chris, if you'd known that, you could have saved yourself a lot of effort. Just got uh, unless unless I got people to assemble like the jigsaw version of a stripper or something, <laughs> which would be horrible in many, many, many ways. Oh, particularly if you're making it, Dan. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine like like somebody somebody's like, hey, what? Look out for this, lads. Puts down the boombox, presses play, <laughs> just like this super sexy, like, bow, 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 and then like. Somebody grabs a jigsaw and just opens pulls it up on the just... table like, now we're, now we're cooking with gas. <laughs> so I uh, caught uh, WandaVision last oh, week what, on Disney+. What, Plus. what were they up to? Well, it's been a while since we've encountered the two of them because this has probably mm. been the longest the world has been without any Marvel property live-action property, really, I suppose, for some time. I think Spider-Man Far From Home was the last one, I think. Or was it Ant-Man and the Wasp? No, Far From Home was the last. Far From Home. Yeah, so it's been quite a while. And so I didn't realise how much I had missed Marvel Studios. Until you saw the... uh, (laughs) Until you saw, like, the sizzle reel at the start, the logo. Uh Oh, Gosh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was that was great. I think, yeah, to, and straight away you get that feeling of being in the cinema, which is something I've also not experienced for quite some time, like many people. And also, this is a great series in the sense that you don't have to be. For those out there who are thinking, well, why do I want to watch a series? I didn't watch all of the Marvel films. I can't really plug into a series right now. Um, Kevin Feige, who's the kind of the the Marvel guru and figure, Marvel Studios guru and figurehead, has said that this series doesn't necessarily require you to have watched any marvel before but if you have done 
There are lots of kind of hidden treats and Easter eggs. No, he genuinely says I that. I disagree with that. I mean, I think you can watch it. You can watch anything without having seen it before. It's just whether yeah, you'd but... really get the benefit of it because there are kind of layers of storytelling here that are quite interesting. And I think not having having a lack of a pre-existing knowledge, it, it, it removes, say, some of the pathos of it. It, it doesn't feel there is much uh, stakes attached to the narrative. So wonder vision... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I know who the vision is. Yeah. Yeah. He's he was a computer and now he's not. Well, he still is, but he... well, he's basically a computer, isn't he? Yeah, like an android, basically like an with android. a with a heart. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, and wonder the other part of that is the prefix to that is wonder Maximov, who is the Scarlet Witch. The Scarlet uh, Witch. Have you read House of M? Oh, it's so good. Yes. No, it, I've never read that. All right, as Sam alluded to, House of M is the story in which you realise that Wanda Maximoff is the most powerful figure in the Marvel Universe, pretty much. And yeah, so WandaVision is set after the events of Avengers Endgame, which we've talked about in a previous pod, where you've got these two super-powered individuals, one who is part android that can phase through things and has a laser that comes out of his head. <laughs> Does, can, he, can he still do that? Is the stone still there, though? I can't remember, actually. Uh, the other one who can control reality. And... You put them together and it sounds like a hilarious sitcom, which is essentially what WandaVision is. It's these two trying to settle down in the suburbs, this fictional place called Westview, and trying to blend in and not let people know that they're kind of superpowered and they're trying to live this domesticated life. So Vision, he looks very androidy, and then when he leaves home, he, he kind of does his face and he looks like your mild-mannered uh, middle-class kind of American going off to work in the office. And and it really does, I say it's like a sitcom, it really does lean into the sitcom aesthetic. And that, for me, is the allure, the charm of this whole setup, really, because there's yeah. only been two episodes dropped as of recording. But each episode is a homage to a particular era of sitcoms. So the first one is 50 sitcoms, so like the Dick Van Dyke show. And I was doing some research on this. They actually consulted Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> of course they did. Because <laughs> uh, it's Marvel, isn't it? It's incredible. And it's great, Pete, because you've got the square aspect ratio. It's the black and white. You've got They actually filmed it in front of a live studio audience like they would have done with a sitcom. So you've got this canned laughter. And, and practical effects as well. So it's like stuff where Wanda's making like... It's like a really... The storyline is so 50 sitcom. It's like the boss comes around. For yeah, dinner. right. And like yeah. his and like the visions promotion all hinges on the success of this <laughs> of this dinner. So you can you can immediately like spool on from there about what happens. Wanda's like making a dinner in the kitchen, and um, the boss's wife accidentally like goes to open the the window, and Vision just managed like the um, the serving hatch, and Vision just managed to distract her, and like you can see all the food like floating around, but it's so obviously like all on strings like yeah. it's almost like fantasia like of fishing like the, wire of like a fishing wire like this fantasia moment of that spoon like stirring the bowl on its own like the plates all floating around it's like it's so obvious that they it's either very very like heavy-handed computer effects or uh, knowing marvel I, I probably believe they did actually do it practically like yeah the practical effects stuff is is really like spot on i really enjoyed in, enjoyed that about it but Sam's absolutely right. It has those kind of like narrative tropes of those traditional sitcoms. But the second one is that they're trying to impress the local town at the talent show by doing a magic act. Oh. Vision gets the equivalent of drunk in his sense. And what happens is he's trying to, he ends up using his powers to do the magic show, but Wanda's trying to make them look like their practical effects. So she it's uses brilliant. her powers to make everything look like 
it was done with like mirrors and stuff like that. And you actually, what's <laughs> it's so funny. It's my, my a... favorite. My favorite gag from that one is is so. Um, what is it? Vision. Vision lifts up the piano. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a piano on stage, and Vision lifts it up, and then Wanda's just like, "Oh my god, they're going to figure out who we are." So she walks over and she turns the piano into like a into like a two D cardboard cutout and starts walking away with it. So it's like the whole the whole conceit is just like it's like this reverse like magic magic act. And as she's walking away with this like cardboard cutout of piano, someone in the crowd just says, "That was my grandma's piano." <laughs> 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 like it's it's got genuine like comedic chops. Like yeah. Paul Bettany and uh, oh. Elizabeth Olsen like uh, like are really sending it up um, and like living, like, you know, chewing the scenery and having an absolute blast, like playing, playing in this like sitcom archaic sort of hmm. realm. So, so it's got all of that stuff and, and that sounds interesting in and of itself, but why is it Marvel? Like what, is, <laughs> where does it, where? Basically Pete's like, where's the I Dream of Genie um, <laughs> remake things? To be fair, the, the thing that you mentioned that, Sam, when I was, I, I really enjoyed it and that was, I was taken away from it. It was reminding me like when I was really young, you would have the likes of Bewitched and I Dream of Genie on, yeah. Yeah. on Channel 4 at 10 o'clock in the morning or something like that on a weekend. And I would watch that and it took me back to those because obviously mm. those were before my time when they were first broadcast. But absolutely took me back to those and they, they put so much kind of effort into, as you say, speaking with kind of people who made the original kind of shows, so much effort into nailing the beats, the comedy, the look of it, every aspect of it just feels so lovely. And so mm. obviously this is part of, a, of an overarching narrative, which over the course of, I think it's, is it 10 episodes or is it eight episodes? I'm not quite sure. I don't know. It's six to eight. I think it's either six or eight episodes. I think that's what they originally mm. planned. Like it's got like the budget of like, uh, you know, a typical production. And, it, and this is Marvel Studios. It's not Marvel Television that did all the other stuff like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and Agent Carter and things like that. So it's got heft behind it overarching narrative over that where you obviously you have this kind of front of this tv show but you are given hints and as i say we've only at the point of recording we've only seen two episodes and they are hinting that there is something behind this obviously you kind of watch it and you know wonder and vision don't live inside a 50s sitcom you know that so this is obviously not real life um so there's something going on and there are loose there's a, there's a i mean i don't really want to get into spoilers but if you, if you if you haven't maybe seen it yet, maybe just skip the next thirty seconds while I say this. There's a moment in that first episode where there's a turn, and not just a turn in terms of kind of con, uh, kind of what's been said and stuff like that, but the camera suddenly has slightly different angles, and it's all a bit strange, and it's a bit close up, and suddenly the the the, the intonation of the dialogue changes and doesn't fit and jar everything about it jars with everything else in the episode, and then it clicks and it's back out of it again. And it's that, and yeah. it's that moment, that kind of thing that makes you sit and go, okay, that I'm in, that's something. And that's all I need. Yeah. Because it's really brave that those first two episodes, I think especially the first one, they felt no need to step away from the parody of the, the 50s sitcom or the 60s sitcom. They, they, don't, they don't kind of really step away from that. They say, you know what? We're going to give you a 30-minute sitcom and we're going to mm. play it out from start to finish as that. And I think that's really, really brave. As a, as a first episode where you've got that hook in that, yes, most people who are watching it will have a pre-existing investment. So they're going to stick with it. And chances are they know roughly what's going on. So when they see these characters, they know it's not 
real. So it's not going to be like, I know I have seen some people kind of online who haven't taken to it and have wanted it to kind of get moving. Personally, I loved it. I love the fact that they really, really kind of played into that. And can't you, when you talk about kind of Kevin Feige saying that you don't need to watch it, I mean, technically, no. I think you'd lose quite a bit by not having a pre-existing knowledge, especially of that relationship, and especially what happened at the end of that relationship. By not knowing that, I mean, obviously, we, we kind of, spoilers, this is going back to probably Infinity War now, because in Infinity War is where, spoilers, 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 Vision is killed. And in Endgame, we only get a very brief scene where we see Wanda being able to deal with that, because she's not around for the rest of the film. And so we haven't really seen her dealing with the death of her love. And obviously you don't know how this can play out. To me, in my mind, that's that's something that's going to happen in this series. We're going to see that. So there is that kind of element of awaiting that really kind of powerful moment. And just you're seeing it on the horizon. And you know it's coming. And the way that they will bring it round and they're doing all this interesting stuff, they're just really knocking it out of the park. And I think this is the first... Marvel TV series of their kind of new batch. So you have this coming, you have this out now, you have uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier coming, you have Loki, you have Miss Marvel, you have Moon Knight, you have loads of stuff coming. If any of the stuff coming has the level of thought gone into it, of ambition, of kind of just the money that's gone into it, you can, you can see it on screen. You can see that they've not cut corners. If any of these other, sh- other shows have that then that's in a really good place. And that makes the MCU going forward much more interesting because these, because some characters they're doing TV series haven't had films and aren't known entities that will mm. feed because these are all part of the same universe. And it, what we all already thought was a giant universe of the MCU is expanding kind of exponentially now, both in terms of new films and new characters, existing characters who are coming back. Now these TV series where they can have a bit more long form storytelling for an individual character really build those character developments it's a really exciting time i think um well you'll be pleased to know that in the next doctor strange film multiverse of madness which is a great title yes. for a film scarlet witch wonder maximoff will be appearing in that and it's rumored i think she might be the antagonist of that film so that it'll be maybe the the tail end of this series will kind of lead mm. um, towards that really but i just want to make a shout out to jack schaefer who's the showrunner of this show and she's written she was a screenwriter for captain marvel and the upcoming black widow as well so that kind of tissue of the cinematic universe and the television universe there uh, Catherine Hahn's performance of agnes is brilliant she's just bonkers mm-hmm. and unhinged and i, I really love because i was a fan of that 70s show um, when it came on Netflix. What show's that? Hey. Um, particularly Deborah Jo Rupp, who plays Mrs. Hart, who is the wife, uh, the wife of the boss of uh, um, Paul Bettany's character. Yeah. Um, yeah. So to see those kind of trademarks there, it's very clever because straight away, I, you know, she'd previously been in a sitcom that was set in a particular period in history. So I, it, it suddenly took me back, back into that period, really. It also reminds me of the TV, the film Pleasantville. I don't know if any of you have ever watched that in 1998. If you haven't, do watch it. It's about a group of teens who are transported from the modern day into a black and white um, sitcom world, and they're slowly bringing colour to the world, and it's absolutely incredible. But, like, I've heard that, like, WandaVision is going to be doing, like, a different sitcom era each week. So apparently... apparently that, uh, that, that is the, true to a certain point, apparently. It's going to be like The Office. Aren't they going to be drawing for The Office in one episode? That's what uh, I've heard. W- apparently, it is going to continue to go uh, to stretch decade by decade up to a point, and then it's going to stop. Yeah. So for me, that's going to be the crunch point. It's like, 
I'm really enjoying this like um, development of the style and the form, but it's all about that handbrake turn. It's all about that gear change, really. It's the boy's own key change, stepping up off the stools moment of how they get from point A to point B. That's going to be the real like masterpiece of the of the form. Like if they can, it's always like the the great thing about this show is is that it's it's demonstrating that superheroes can be more than battling the big bad and saving yeah. the world and defeating a hundred thousand aliens like they're characters they're human they're real they're it's not people. just big beams up into the sky exactly so the interesting thing for me is how they're going to essentially square that circle like how they're eventually going to like bring wonder and vision back into like that world that they're currently apart from which is going to be the testament of the of the show as a whole. I was wondering, could you imagine if WandaVision was set in the UK and it was UK sitcoms? Oh, oh God. God. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Some mothers do have them. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> or, the good or, life. Or Only Fools and Horses. Yeah. Oh, Just in a God. tower block. Yeah. Um, are you being served? <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I'd be up for that, just to be clear. It'd be incredible. Yeah, it'd be amazing. Hello, hello. Ah. Well, I've had a, um, I've had a, a, a bit of a week, a bit of a week. I tell you, a bit of a week. My number one thing I never like to engage with in conversation is what everyone. What's the one thing that if you came up to me at a party, right, and started engaging me in conversation about what subject? Mm. What would I? You've all known me. Chris known me the longest, but you've all known me enough. What's the one thing where? What's the one thing where I'd be like, I'm really not, you know, I'm too polite to say, please stop talking. Mm. But what's the one subject where I'm just like, I have no interest in this subject whatsoever? Jigsaws. <laughs> well, that's my Chris's editing job. <laughs> a bit more difficult. Uh, a subject, a subject for you. One division. I don't know. Let's just do the whole Hulk now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sean Tonto. <laughs> um... A, a subject that you don't want to talk about at a party. I was round at my neighbour's house, and the, and this is like pre the times, and we, there was a guy there, and he started, and for whatever reason, he thought that I would be interested in talking about the subject. So he started telling me about all of the things that he loved about these things, and I had no interest whatsoever. But he just kept on talking and talking, and talking, and I was too polite to say, I have no interest in talking about these things. Can we talk about something else? Maybe. Cars. I it's got to be cars, Sam, hasn't it? Bicycles. I want to hear Pete. Bicycles. Yeah. Actually, bicycles. Cars, is, cars is a good shape. Chris is correct. Cars. cars is just... But you drive I, a he... car, Sam. Yeah, I know, but I don't need to know about why the Audi A4's 2.8 litre engine delivers more torque per second than oh, the Audi are you just 2. Are you not seven. interested in that? I, I could not. It, a car for me gets me from A to B economically, yeah. cheaply, and you know, at a, re- a reasonable speed, <laughs> but never exceeding the national speed limit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so when my car broke the other day, oh. I was like, this is this is sending me down uh, a, a horrible, painful series of conversations with people about things that I don't understand. Tell us how your car broke, Sam. So my car developed a very unique and interesting fault. <laughs> uh, my wife went out, and she said, oh, the lights are on in the car. I said, like, oh, that's weird. I must, I must have forgotten to turn, to turn them off, you know, 
whatever. Easily done. So she, easily done. And so she got in, sort of started, and I could hear her like starting up the car, turning it off, starting up the car, turning it off. I thought, oh, that's a bit weird. Maybe she's like, because lights have been on for a while, the minimal thing I know about cars is there's a battery, which is important for some reason. And so maybe she's like letting the engine turn over to put a bit more energy back into the battery if the lights have been on for a while. Yeah, sure. And then she drove away. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Especially considering she just said she was going to take our son out for a, for a, a walk. <laughs> and, uh, and then about 30 seconds later, I heard this sound, right? <laughs> And uh, <laughs> sorry, whilst I was making that sound, Zoom popped up with a thing saying, playing music, <laughs> set, up pro- set up professional audio in audio settings. <laughs> wow, that's what a What a great singer you are, says Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> and the horn was blaring constantly from the car. And I was like, oh my God, is that, oh, I can't believe this is happening. Luckily, on turning off the engine, the sound... The sound stopped, and I was like, oh, my God, thank, thank, thank. that it Obviously, just must be a fault somewhere with something. So Lisa went on a walk with a dog and, and our son, and I thought, I'll fix this. Oh, <laughs> so, dear. <laughs> so I turned the car, I turned the engine on, lights still on, and then I thought that, and then the horn was silent. So I thought, oh, right, must have fixed it. <laughs> but I'll just test it. <laughs> so oh, I lightly tapped on <laughs> So I lightly tapped the horn, and then it, nothing. It, it was just on permanently, and nothing. I and you know that sense of panic where you just like, oh, oh no, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, just kept on tapping it, like, please, just please, just turn off, just whatever happens, please, just turn off, because I don't know, I have no idea about how to fix these things. <laughs> <laughs> so the horn of my car and this was about oh what was the time it was about seven o'clock in the evening oh. <laughs> and uh, my horn was sitting on my driveway blaring yeah. constantly yeah and i was just like you know when i'm not usually someone to panic but you know how for some reason when there's a considerably loud noise it makes it very very difficult to just go right just breathe calm let's think through this problem rationally yeah yeah um, <laughs> and uh, to make to make the situation even worse like so so the first thing i did was just i, I called my wife and just went and just said just keep walking <laughs> just, <laughs> and she was, and she was just like and if you get lost s- just follow is- the sound <laughs> yeah she was like is that sound you and i went yeah <laughs> <laughs> So then, um, luckily enough, the one thing I do know about is policies. So I've got a policy with our breakdown recovery um, provider that they can do, like, home um, repairs. So called them out in the interim, tried to, like, Google and solve the issue myself. But to cut a long story short, it was the... And and I do apologise to everyone about this, because obviously we're going through a difficult time, but my horn was blaring in the most obvious and like blatant um breaking of covid protocols that i've that i've seen since this started both my neighbors on either side like just converged towards me to help me out with this with this situation and most of them were conversations of um oh yeah you just need to um you just need to take the fuse out 
I was like, I have no idea oh, yeah. that there were fuses or electrics yeah, involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh, just just uh, just uncouple the battery. <laughs> and like, <laughs> and it's like, have you not got any spanners? And um, yeah, they may as well have been talking about flux capacitors and you know, yeah, all that stuff. Like, yeah. And obviously, at this point, like the horn is blaring. Oh, um, my word. Um, my neighbour, <laughs> bless him, he's such a sweet man, but. During, during the time the horn was blaring, he was explaining how loud the horn is and how dangerous it is to be exposed to that sound for any prolonged period of time. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, like, this is 110 decibels, don't you know? And I was like... <laughs> but then, luckily, my, um, my parents-in-law were were sort of subcontracted to provide um, immediate assistance. Uh, and they sent to me, like, screenshots of the the manual for our car, told me where the fuse was, pulled out the fuse, and silence, peace, joy. Disconnected the lights. The recovery guy did that. He restarted something called the ECM. <laughs> Who knows? Could be anything, couldn't it? He could have told um, you anything. Yeah, he could have told I you mean, anything. So, um... Uh, uh, the the um the so-called bants with the recovery guy was he was like i've disconnected the lights so if you ever need them just stop the car plug them back in and to be honest when do you use your horn anyway just run them over <laughs> <laughs> sage council <Yeah. laughs> um so we're kind of we're kind of like two weeks on from that from that debacle i now have a courtesy car right um, <laughs> So the courtesy guess... being the horn doesn't blare all day and all night. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I assume Sam, you've given your parents-in-law back the mug. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of neighbours, my I've been woken up the last week or so at seven a.m. every morning by my neighbour shouting. And I couldn't understand why it was every morning. With metronomic regularity, it's 7am. Hmm. I couldn't what, quite understand. What were they shouting? Well, that's the thing. I don't want to get up. Well, it was, well, well like, <laughs> uh, it was like a few, like, it was about two or three days into it. And I was thinking, I've got to try and work out what this is. Yeah. And it was, what they were shouting was, Alexa, snooze. <laughs> so I could ascertain that A, they've got an Alexa for Christmas. Yeah. And B, they were keeping it in their kitchen, not their bedroom. <laughs> Brilliant. So the alarm would go off in the kitchen to Brilliant. wake them up. Brilliant. But for the, for Alexa to hear them, to ask them to snooze, they had to shout at the top of their lungs from the bedroom. Brilliant. That's and I'm amazing. lucky I'm the morning That's person. That's so good. That's extraordinary, oh. isn't it? You've got this technology for convenience, but you put it in the most inconvenient place. I much prefer these smaller games where, uh, quite often, because it gives you, you can play it in an afternoon. Uh, or mm -hmm. in the case of Frog Detective 2, the case of the invisible wizard, uh, you can complete it in an hour. And um, so I played the original, which is called The Haunted Island, a frog detective game. Um, and um, now I will admit they have padded the game out by about 20 minutes extra. So so it's not as short as the first one. But um, it's... It's it's come at exactly the right time. It is like uh, I'm I've uh, as I've been saying I'm in this mood of short games, but I'm also in this mood of games that are really pleasant, funny, 
and lovely and kind of like basically threat free like like no like no way of dying like i've been enjoying point and click adventures a lot recently um where there is no death state it's just figure it out or where failure is not particularly punished i like games that do that yeah that's good um and these these two games are that um so they are you play as a frog detective uh i believe he is called frog detective and um he is sent on missions by a little penguin who um who (laughs) calls him up on the phone and his weird little house he picks up the phone in his weird little house and all he's got in his little house is a phone and his magnifying glass and um a, a wall with some pictures of his friends on um and it's very very cute um so i want to be very clear this game could be for kids for Fortnite kiddies that they wouldn't play it it could be for kids like it is very um yeah it's like very suitable for everyone but it's definitely definitely suitable for adults uh, because it is this very sweet very flat color simple adventure story game where you are moving around this environment in first person as this frog using the little magnifying glass whenever you want you never need to use the magnifying glass in any puzzle ever and you can always see plenty clearly enough it's literally just a button where you can look at things in in closer detail it does nothing it's great just fun little silly things like that you have characters that you speak to who are quite strange but always very pleasant to you like there's 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 never any feeling of like real animosity or anything like that there's little visual gags hidden throughout the rest of the throughout the entire of the you know hour-long experience little characters who'll be like peeking around a corner and then they'll like dash back in you'll never see them again and who knows what they were and they're just silly little nice uh sort of moments that you just see every once in a while um and then you do these little quests for people to find out information so in in frog detective 2 the main thing is basically finding out um, who is the invisible wizard and also who ruined the party and throughout all of this there is this kind of sense in which your brain is constantly thinking when does it turn dark when does it go bad and it never does it just it's just flat out lovely um the story the actual writing itself is really well uh really well done really simply presented there's no voice acting or anything like that it's just really straightforward but but very uh, sparkling like the, the the writing really like you know the voice of the frog like you 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 know exactly how uh the the different characters are going to talk to you like you know how when someone's feeling sad through really well written dialogue like it actually is it's really uh well put together and and as i say i just breezed through it in an, in 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 an hour as part of like an afternoon and the satisfaction of getting to the end of that and just being like what a lovely thing it is the same satisfaction that i got funnily enough as reading like a graphic novel a collected trade paperback yeah. graphic novel where you sit down and you go i'm going to read this yeah. for an hour and then you go from front to back and you go that was great and you feel really satisfied at the end of it of like that was really lovely it took me into a different headspace for a little while and now i'm back and now i've got the rest of my evening to go off and do whatever it is that i wanted to do like yeah i'm i'm, I'm currently starting to watch a video um by h bomber guy about why sherlock is garbage and he explains why and as in sherlock the the bbc okay serious yeah. and one of the things he 
talks about there in terms of his reasonings why and his arguments is that Sherlock, before the the new version by Stephen Moffat and Mark Gattis, was that each of the stories was this self-contained yeah. narrative. Yeah. And you could you could jump in at any point and you know you're going to get a mystery from start to end and that's exactly what it was going to be. So it was this satisfying mm-hmm. and this wonderful, like, adventure experience and the books and the books were the same and what they changed with the bbc version is to change it from that satisfying mystery deductive reasoning thing to have this whole like overarching like narrative involving moriarty and and that like takes away from the from the actual like what sherlock gives you as a character in terms of like these self-contained like complete stories and like there is there is satisfaction and there is worth in that as a as a way of telling stories oh oh uh, uh, completely like like there's there's just this real sense in shorter form storytelling and shorter yeah. form games where where you you can explore an idea that would be very tiring over 15 hours the thing i always go back to when i when i think about um games is like the arcades and um so the reason that arcade ports, for example, tended not to do particularly well post-PlayStation 1 era, where games were getting longer and more complex uh, and, and more story-focused, the reason that those arcade ports never really didn't really continue to keep the imagination of people is that like they're actually kind of one trick, right? Like If you're going to mm-hmm. go and play Space Invaders... Th- you don't really want to play Space Invaders for fifty hours in a row. Like, like it, it's so the same thing, right? Whereas when you go into an arcade and you put in a in, in, in a credit, you get the exact amount of time that the game designer thought you were going to get with Space Invaders. Like, I think I think that's slightly different though, because that's like sunk cost fallacy, though, isn't it? Because with an arcade machine and a game, it's kind of well, I've put this amount of money into it, so I'm going to get this this out of it well i but I, I don't think that's necessarily the case i mean like if you look at stuff something like time crisis right like you that game takes what 40 minutes to complete in the arcade something like that time crisis 2 yeah that is not a game that you would want to take to the same length of an assassin's creed right like 80 hours of light gun shooter is not actually <laughs> or and it sounds ludicrous when you say it out loud right but but it's the same with same with other different forms of uh, genres of games like there's plenty of point and click adventures that i've just been like why would i want to do this for 25 hours whereas i look at something like obviously i've talked about Siberia uh, uh, before but like you know those games are about five hours long each perfect and like frog detective is silly and cute and lovely and for an hour it it absolutely does not outstay its welcome it makes you if anything you get to the end of it and you're like oh, i can't wait for the next one and they tease the third one by the way amazing like a like a james bond Frog detective will return it is exactly that yeah yeah it's perfect it's perfect and like but you get to the end of it and you don't feel it's outstay it's welcome you really feel like you've had a different experience and something that you've not it's that you wouldn't get in something that was much more you know quote unquote worthy like um you know like a, a much bigger kind of a game um and the other the other cool thing about it is obviously these smaller games especially this one they're cheap like yeah. they're 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 like um i think of them as like sweets you buy like you buy you buy a couple and you 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 know you scoff them down and it's great like well, it's less than a pint isn't it both right right like both these uh, games uh, and and Pete uh, two things firstly can i ask what you what are you playing this on so i'm playing this on pc 
Um, and uh, you do not need a decent rig. Uh, you don't need a decent rig so much to the point that uh, you know when you boot up a Unity engine game, I don't know if you've ever had this, and it, yes. will, it will give you different graphics settings that you can have, like low, good, best, all this sort of stuff. They just renamed all of the graphics settings to like really cute things, like uh, you know, just like super, like just super over the top names. Like they know, like because it's because it's so f- like flat in terms of color and quite simple in terms of geometry. It's not really that much saving you're ever going to get. If you can run any Unity game, you can probably run this. And um, uh, again, like for an hour, it's fine for a laptop, right? Your your you know your laptop's not going to yeah, suddenly definitely. turn into the center of the sun because you've been playing it for three hours. No. That was Staying In with Daniel Frost, Sam Turner, Peter Willington and myself, Chris Darby. Huge thanks to Coiled Spring Games for kindly sending us a copy of Shot and Totten 2, a game that is just as enjoyable to play as it is to say. That will be a welcome addition to our Board Game Geek profile. Uh, just some housekeeping. Our entire back catalogue of episodes is available from your usual podcast provider. If you're stuck as to where to listen to us, then visit stayinginpodcast.com, which will direct you to all the different places you can catch us, including Spotify, Stitcher, and YouTube. If you want to ask us anything, as long as it's not car-related, stayinginpodcast at gmail.com is how to do it. Or alternatively, reach out to us via social media at stayinginpod, as you covered there. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that since completing the recording, I've finally finished my moon jigsaw. It was worth it, although I'm happy for it to be another few years or so before I tackle another one of these things. Bye bye.